Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. Abby Jesus in Bigora. Tis Michael Flatley here. Begobs, I can't wait to hear that other great emigrant from the Irish sod, Marion McKeown, on today's podcast. Me Irish ears are smiling, be Jesus, waiting to hear her tour little laddie voice. Put cabbages on me chest. May you never fear a nail wind, Marion, when your haystacks are tied down. And a trout in the pot is better than a salmon in the sea. Canary on Boherlat. This is Donald J. Trump. I'm really looking forward to hearing the great Marion McKeown on today's podcast. She's a great critic, great critic, and believe me, I have some of the best critics in the world. But Marion, she's great. She's great. Marion, I have some guys from the FBI and the CIA listening into today's podcast, so be nice. Be nice. Be very, very nice. And January 6th, what a great day to put the podcast out. Historic day. Great day of protest for all great patriots. Thank you, Marion. Well, hello there. There's a lot of buzz on the hotline today, as you might imagine, about my guest on this episode. And I'm not at all surprised, really, because Marion McKeown is in a league of her own when it comes to reporting on all of the big stories happening in the US right now. And it just so happens that this podcast is being released on uh, January 6th. And January 6th, of course, is the one year anniversary of the uh, attempted insurrection or the insurrection um, on Capitol Hill in the United States uh, by pro-Trump supporters who uh, wanted to declare that the election had been stolen. Um, so I thought it was a great opportunity to get Marion in. And Marion is, of course, US correspondent at the Sunday Business Post. She's a weekly slot along with Cal Thomas uh, on Matt Cooper's last word. And I find that compelling listening. Um, Ma- um, Marion against Cal, although they are very f- good friends as well. Um, and she appears regularly on RTE as well, BBC, NPR and many more stations. And boy, has she lived an interesting life. She's worked on the front lines of war-torn countries, travel around you know, every corner of the United States and seen some pretty disturbing sights, spent time with some of the Donald Trump's uh, most extreme supporters, the MAGA uh, bros uh, or the MAGA crowd, um, as she calls them. And there's some very interesting stories about that here. And Marion shares some of her most um, interesting experiences from around the world in our chat. There was one town where I drove around a tornado barrier into a ditch and out the other side. And I said, I will take my chances on the road in the line of a tornado rather than stay here for a night. And the clue was they had one nightclub and it was called Bitches. (laughs) (laughs) I come home about five times a year. So I'm tracking the progress, but everyone's still talking about my attitude is, look, Wear a bloody mask, wash your hands, get vaxxed and shut the hell up. All these guys come out of the woods basically with machine guns and they're wearing bandanas over their heads and they're yelling and screaming at us. And they shove us into this animal shed and it's literally four foot foot deep with cow shit and goat shit and pig shit and everything else. And they start yelling, get down, get down. And I just said, fuck off. (laughs) He has a charisma, whether people like it or not, he has an undeniable charisma and he has convinced all these people that he's just like them, except he's rich. My full chat with Marion coming up very shortly. But first, I wanted to check in with you and wish you all a really happy new year. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcasts that we put out over the um, over the Christmas break. Um, The selection box seems to have done pretty well. 
And I hope you can continue to join me every week here on the podcast for more brand new comedy, interviews with a twist, celebrity callers, and so much more. That could be one of your New Year's resolutions. Have you made any others? Maybe dry January? You wouldn't be the only one. Joanne, what? you said it was your decision to do Dry January. I did in my lovingly sculpted hell. You even said you were going to call it Dry January. Let me out of this fucking cage, Fogey. I'm no. sweating like a dyslexic on Countdown. Just breathe, Joanne. It's only been six days. Just one glass of Chardonnay, please. No. I can't fucking do it for a month. I need booze. Oh, fuck. What's what? that? What? what? On the ceiling. Where? It's a fucking baby crawling on the ceiling. Joanne, you're hallucinating. I fucking hate babies. Joanne. Make it stop, Foggy. Give me booze. Joanne, just keep trying. Just one sip. Look, think about great your arse will look on the 1st of February. Just No, think. fuck off. Your arse will be so tight, you'll be able to use it as a bottle opener. No, make it stop. No, I can't. Make it stop, Foggy. Please, I need booze now. Give me the safe word. Porn star martini. <laughs> okay. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and we wish Joanne all the best throughout a tough couple of weeks ahead. Uh, but you know, maybe it's a great time to be trying to cut down on the alcohol because the prices have just shot up. Yes, the government has introduced what's called minimum unit pricing, which will see the cost of lots of popular drinks increase. It's going to impact your wallet, but how is it going to impact on the Irish economy? Ireland's leading economist, David McWilliams, might just have the answer. OK, David, uh, ready to go? All set, John. This podcast is powered by Acast. Yeah, so David, we were uh, we were talking earlier. We were going to talk today about the economic effects of the minimum unit price of alcohol. Ah, oh, Jesus, dear John, me old sicko, show what? What are you doing? Slapping on the old minimum price on the old chair. You, you said you wouldn't do this man of the people shtick again, David. Oh, Please God, stop. be with the days, John. What? Jesus. When we were out in chest chislers, roaming the mean streets of Dorky. What mean streets of Dorky? Two flagons of Linden Village for eight. EP we used to be able to get them for. They lashed them back in the pack up behind Cooler, remember? No. Ah, rehearsed we'd be before kicking the bollocks out of them skangers from up on Sorrento Road. David. Yeah, rashers Fitzgerald and your man. I told you I'm O'Toole. Fucking show them who's boss, didn't I, John? David. Yeah, do nothing, I said, remember? No, I don't. Then we'd bunk on to the number eight bus out of Dorky into town. What? Sisters farts singing, take me up the Monto, uh, Monto, Monto. David, good luck. I'm, take me up the Monto. I'm quitting the podcast. Good luck. David. John? John? Aww. Poor John. Anyway, if you'd like to drop me a line, many of you did, by the way, over the Christmas holiday, and I read them all, and I'm in the process of getting back to them all. Um, if you want to drop me a line, I answer them all pro- personally. Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. So let's meet this week's guest, Marion McKeown. As US correspondent, Marion lives in the United States, but travels back to Ireland regularly. And so I was curious about how the whole COVID conversation, for example, differs between both countries. Are we particularly obsessed with it over here, talking about it in Ireland? What's the attitude towards it in America at the moment? That's where we join the conversation. So, so I'm wondering, what's it like for you coming back to Ireland? I mean, what do you think of the way we're carrying on over here? You know here? what it reminds me of in a different way? I remember coming back around 2008 when everyone was minted before the fall and all people could talk about was sofas and holiday apartments in Bulgaria. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus, is there any other topic of conversation? 
Uh, so, Mar- so Marion dips into Irish life every 10 years. She goes, I came back in 2008 and all they were talking about was a bu- a Bulgaria and apartments and sofas. Then about 12 years later, I came back and they're only just talking about and antigen tests. They're just talking about bloody antigen tests. country yeah. this is. No, um, but in the interest of, I come home about five times a year, like four or five yeah. times a year. So I, I'm, I'm tracking the progress, but everyone's still talking about, my attitude is, look, Wear a bloody mask, wash your hands, yeah. get vaxxed and shut the hell up. OK, you know? because yeah. really, really in this yeah. world that we're mm-hmm. that I'm inhabiting, this yeah. world. So the world I'm in is Dublin. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, media. Yeah. And that's all they're talking about. That's all they're talking COVID. about. COVID. Yeah. Is that all they're talking about in America? No. No. Because the election was stolen. Did you not hear that? Yeah, I did. I <laughs> well, there you go. The election so, was so, stolen. So in other words, they're, they're not just talking about that in they're America. They're not. Ju- you know what? It depends where you go. Because you go to some parts of America and I travel to every godforsaken corner of America. I don't spend much time in Washington. Um, and, uh, and depending on where you go, if they're talking about COVID, it was sent down by Martians. Some people say it was Jewish people who invented it. Some people, lots of people say it was Chinese people who invented it. Uh, and most, half America does not Give a damn. And they see it as something to be defied. It's like, yeah, you know, bring it on, bring it on. And then they get and they die. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, by and large, there is, and then you go elsewhere. But there isn't the, I'm not getting the obsession in America that I'm yeah. getting here where it is. I was out the other night in um, where Smith's on Haddington Green. We were all sitting outside, you know, and we were just for a couple of hours, we were having the best crack, like the oldie days when you went to a pub, had a pint of Guinness and told stories and no one mentioned COVID mm. for whatever, a couple of hours mm. we were there. And it was such a bloody relief mm. because what's there to say? Like I said, you know, you wear a mask, you wash your yeah, hands. That's it, Marion. But my point yeah. is that that's, what, that's why I'm interested in just hearing what it was yeah. like over in the States because... There is an there is an information pandemic in this country yeah. about it. Yeah, it's it's hailstorm. Yeah. of COVID, yeah. which and I don't think it has to be. No, you can just have that as yeah. part of the news headlines yeah. and then move on and do six yeah. items without yeah. doing five of them about COVID. Yeah, and likewise in a conversation, you can say, "Oh yeah, you know whatever, you know, give it thirty seconds and then get on with your life." Yeah. And and the things we used to talk about, yeah. like I don't know, what do we used to talk about? I can't remember. Pints on Haddington Green. Pints on, yes, exactly. <laughs> Storytelling and mischief. Why did you go to America? Do you know when, did, when did you go to America? So, okay. so, for, so for listeners of this podcast, um, they would know that I've had Matt Cooper on and uh, they would know, right. that obviously, that I work in Today FM. Yeah. And um, I love Matt Cooper's show. And uh, I have obviously listen to you and Cal, you and Matt Cal all the time. And Thank I take you. the piss out of you sometimes. Yeah, and, I've um, heard. Yeah, and I enjoy that. And because and, it's obviously you are black and white, you're binary. And, uh, you know. I don't know. I think we're getting them over. I think we've softened them up a bit. <laughs> have you? Yeah. You've got them right. I'm beginning to think. I'm beginning yeah. to or think Or have you so. gone over to him? Uh, no, 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 no. But yeah. you know what? I am. And I, we'll talk about Cal mm. because it, 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 the, how we first met is actually very funny. But um, but how I got to America first, as you can see, it's very hard for me to keep a straight line in the conversation. Um, I'll tell you exactly what happened was it was November in Dublin, 1999, and I'd been working in the Business Post for a couple of years with, and Damien Kybert at the time was the editor, and Damien was a fantastic editor. And as anyone who worked with him would tell you, brilliant guy, the most unique sense of humour, I think it's fair to say, of probably anyone you could meet. And uh, anyway, I've been there for a couple of years and really enjoyed working there. Great place to work, full of mad people as media is, and we certainly had our quota there. It was November, and it was Bucketing rain. It was nine o'clock in the morning, and it was dark. 
And I knew it was going to stay dark all day and then it would get even darker at four o'clock and it would keep bucketing rain for the next six months, give or take. And I just, I think I may have been slightly out all night and slightly hungover. I just went to David and I went, right, that's it. I'm not working here anymore. If you don't let me go to America, I'm going to quit. <laughs> and this was just out of the blue. I just thought... I can't be arsed with this weather. And I loved the job, loved the gang down there, everything. We were down Merchant's Key at the time. And David just looks at me as if to go, oh, Jesus, yeah, yeah, you're mad, get out. Uh, although he didn't say that. And then at lunchtime, I went back in. I said, I'm serious, you know. <laughs> and he just went, Jesus. He, was, he just seemed shaking his head. Uh, so anyway, long story short, uh, about four or five months later, he said, look, OK, obviously, I was like one of those really annoying kids who's going, nah, 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 nah. I want to go to America. I said, OK, you know what? Go. He said, go over. And he said, set up an office. And, you know, and I think he thought after six months, I'd get it out of my system. Yeah. So off I went. And then um, Matt Cooper at the time was editor of the Sunday Tribune. Mm. And when it came time, it was just coming into the election, to the 2000 election. And then Matt called me and he said, would you like to stay on and work for the Tribune? And and be our US correspondent. Yeah. And I knew Matt mainly from Donnie Nesbitt's and Toners, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I said, yeah, of course. Was this uh, of the time of his mullet when he had this oh, mullet, that this mullet. gigantic? Down to his lower back, I believe. His lower back. <laughs> <laughs> It's just it's filthy, isn't it? Oh, God, I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah. I, seriously. And, you know, those those highlights, those um, Man U City highlights that he <laughs> yeah, had. Yeah. Oh, jeepers. I've, Matt, we've Matt, seen Matt. pictures of the mullet, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so Matt and his mullet gave me a job. Um, so I was would you like to stay on in America? Yeah, and that was it. And then I stayed with the trip until... 2009. I, yeah, I did the Obama inauguration and all that. Mm. Then my fiancé got cancer and died. Um, and he, I just thought, okay, I'm done with New York. So I had trained as a barrister sorry, years earlier. Sorry, that, sorry that's, that's just blown my mind. Your fiancé well, got... I was actually going to say the fact that I trained as a barrister. <laughs> <laughs> Marion, Marion, don't sorry. be so mean. Marion, Marion, I know I take the piss, but this I'm not so that bad. Am I being really inappropriate? No, not at all. Okay, sorry, your fiancé, sorry, I've got to stop you there. Yeah. Pat Kenny would have these interviews, right? I'd see Pat yeah. Kenny on the Late Late Show and he'd go, we're joined now by a man who um, lost his um, head in a decapitation accident <laughs> on um, K2 while climbing it. And he's there, tell us all about it. Well, Pat, what happened was I was climbing K2. Well, first of all, my mother's head had fallen off. Okay, what happened then? And I'm going, hang on, Pat, ask him about his mother's head falling off so Marion I'm not doing a Pat Kenny on this you just said your fiance got cancer and died yeah sorry I have to ask you who was your fiance and what happened um, I met him in New York he worked for the New York Times um, oh. and was he, he an American he was he was one of those American um, slightly well he wasn't but the family were those American waspy types yeah. which I used to have great fun kind of like the Hamptons of. Kaya? No, no, no. The, the New Englandy, the ones who keep the same car for forty years. Okay. You know, and and so um, you mean Protestanty, Calvinistic? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he wasn't. I hasten to say, but mm. but uh, prudent. And, yeah, and again, he wasn't. Uh, okay. But, but, <laughs> I think I've made that clear now. Oh, but anyway, how long were you with him? Um, about eight years. And oh goodness me! So. And were you like, listen, sorry, sorry, because this is all new to me. Were you, you're cringing, I know. I yeah. am cringing. Oh, yes, OK. Were yes. you, were you, were you um, she, was, 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 you were going to marry him? Um, was I was. It, you were, yeah. I was. In fact, do you want me to really crank Go it on. up here and tell you, it was a week before the wedding. That, 
um, roughly, no, no, nine days, nine days, because we were going to go to um, Exuma. His family had a home in Exuma in the Bahamas, and we were going to have the wedding there. And then um, basically it didn't happen. And weirdly, and I'm not taking the piss now, I had one or two previous fiancés that I got a little bit um, skittery at towards the end. uh, And I didn't necessarily go through with the arrangements. And anyway... Runaway Bride. No, 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 it wasn't that. Jesus, stop, stop, stop. Why am I even telling you this? You're starting it. Shite. God. Marion. <laughs> okay, we'll go. So I rang my dad and I said, uh, the wedding's off. And he went, oh, for God's sake, you're after getting whatever again. And I said, I think you'll find this time, Papa, it is not I who has cold feet. <laughs> And I'm not, you know what? This sounds very heartless. I'm not. Can we just scratch all this and never let no, anyone hear it? I love it. <laughs> no, no, it, Marion, it's really hear. real, please. Um, yeah, you know, it was tough. I mean, I'm not going to be all mm. flippant about it. It was and very tough. And this was tough. 2008? This was the end of 2008. It was December 26th. Okay. And uh, he, and so we were going to have the wedding early in the new year. All right. And uh, so that was the, the, and it was going to be very small and just, you know, Exuma's, I don't know, it's it's not like the Bahamas when people Mm. think of the Bahamas. It's like this tiny, crazy little island at the very end near Cuba and it's mental Mm. and it's just the most gorgeous place to hang out. And there's one hotel which is Faulty Towers. I'm not kidding, it's Faulty Towers. And and it's it's just, it's a beautiful place. So anyway, um, then I I thought, okay, I'm going to move back to Dublin. And I was thinking, what will I do? And then I thought, well, I did train as a barrister back in my misspent youth. And I don't know if you remember, like when we were in college in the 80s, basically there were no jobs. So you kind of thought, okay, well, maybe I'll try a bit of this and try a bit of that. And so I I had done the bar. So I thought, well, geez, I could go down there and give that a go and Mm. see how it goes. Anyway, then what happened after that Mm. was I went to meet a friend of mine for coffee. And it was, I'd been at the law library for nearly two years at that stage. This, she said, oh, I'm meeting this friend of ours who you, from 20 years ago who works as a humanitarian director in Somalia. And there was a really bad famine kicking off in Somalia. And uh, so Sonia came in and we had coffee. And then I went back to the law library and I was chatting with a friend of mine. I said, I think I'm going to Somalia in a couple of weeks. And Sonia had said to me, look, I desperately need somebody who can do advocacy in human rights. And I'd done a master's in human rights in London after I moved there. And... Uh, and she said, and I need somebody who knows how to wrangle media, because what happens in these situations in do-gooder land, as I affectionately call mm. it, um, is that the media just comes in in droves and they want the most gruesome pictures and the most whatever stories And in these situations. And they're out of control mm. a lot of the time. Now, there are terrific foreign car journalists and my God, I met them, but there are also clowns and people who have no business doing it and uh, and it's sort of to try and keep an eye on things and make sure that you don't put aid workers in danger make sure you don't put people who are already suffering in danger because there are a lot of um, different political things going on in a conflict zone with a famine you have warlords you have mm. people who if who will not want aid workers western aid workers anywhere near the place and they will kidnap them and they'll behead them and they'll sell them on and whatever so there's a lot of risk so anyway me knowing nothing about do land, found myself literally a month later um, in Nairobi and doing um, training, security training with the Kenyan army. Not for the faint hearted, I'll tell you. It's not like those folks down the Kura. So so anyway, you have to do that before you can go into Mogadishu because otherwise they need to see 
they, they need to see if you're going to freak out, if yeah. you're going to panic, if you're going to be a liability yeah. to yourself, which is okay. But if you're also going to be a liability to other people, yeah. because you're always working with other people yeah. in those situations. Yeah. And so I kind of passed the test. And one of the reasons I kind of passed the test was that um, before I went away, my little sister had bought me this beautiful orange cashmere jumper in that place in the Hibernian Way um, that sells all the cashmere. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, and it was a going away present. I think she of such wasn't going to see me again. She wanted us to part in good terms. So anyway, it was gorgeous. And it was 400 euro. So they did this fake ambush. So they came along and I was with this British princess uh, who was also, you know, being security cleared to see if she could go in. And uh, anyway, so the, the, the truck we're in, the jeep is stopped. And this kid runs out and he goes, oh, my little brother is very sick. He's very sick. You have to come in. And I said, I didn't realise that the truck was wired for sound and that the whole situation was wired for yeah. sound. So anyway, and I... And so I this said, was a test? Yeah, but at the time we didn't realise this. So I said, I think this is an ambush. And they, the other people were going, no, 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 we have to. We, I said, no, no, I think this is an ambush. Anyway, as it turned out, as soon as we got out of the truck, all these guys come out of the, the woods basically with machine guns and they're wearing bandanas over their heads <laughs> and they're yelling and screaming at us. And, and so anyway, everybody's... Because at that stage, I thought, oh, shit, this really is. You because you, you're, you never think anything's going to happen to you in those situations, even when you've got, there's a weird dissonance. You never think you're, you never think anything bad's going to happen, or at least I didn't. So anyway, they shove us into this shed, animal shed, and it's literally four foot, foot deep with cow shit and goat shit and pig shit and everything else. And, uh, and they start yelling, get down, get down. And I just said, fuck off. <laughs> So, so I, and, and you can see, like, and this woman who is with me, who will remain nameless, but she was wailing and screeching and sobbing. I said, I swear to Christ, if you don't shut up, I'll kill you myself. Because, you know, when you're, the situation was already really tense. Yes. So anyway, the guys are looking at me and I said, I just got this jumper. It cost 400 euro. <laughs> in a burning I'm not, way. I'm not, yeah, in a burning way. And I'm not lying down that shit. I said, I'm not, I said so I'm just not. And, uh, and there was this kind of silence. And anyway, then I thought I saw one of them smirking. And I thought, hang on, what's going on here? Because, you know, I obviously, what, so the long and the short of us, we went back out, we were dragged back out and the, the uh, head of security for Save the Children, who, was, who I was going to work as as a consultant for, mm. um, said that basically the whole thing was wired because they wanted to see how you'd react. And what the way you don't react, apparently, is by screaming and having a fit and, and uh -huh. getting hysterical. The way you do react is to set down a boundary immediately about what you will and will not accept as, um, <laughs> I love it. as treatment. Yes. And, and that orange jumper was, was the, or your jumper, boundary. I tell you what. But interestingly, um, I had been told years before that, uh, I worked in, I went down to South Africa to do a couple of interviews with F.W. Clerk in, in 1994 before apartheid ended. And uh, I had been told at the time that Nelson Mandela, when he was put in prison, the reason he wasn't tortured and mistreated was as soon as he went in, and he said this himself in one of his books, as soon as he went in, uh, he said to the prison guards, if you abuse me, I will sue you and I will sue you until your family is as poorest church mice. He said, I will make sure that you pay. Yeah. And again, it was, now I ain't no Nelson Mandela and I'm not trying to claim mm -hmm. I am. But I think it is that thing that if you, 
and and it's you know I'm not being glib because the terror of being in those situations and I knew two people who were kidnapped in Somalia and they were never the same one one woman from Norwegian Nor- Norway she was with the yeah. the uh, Norwegian aid agency mm. and another one and they like amazingly the the Kenyan army got them back in about 72 hours yeah. and didn't screw it up and uh, but but by then, horrific damage was done. Yeah, yeah. Like horrific damage. Ma, ma, I, I'm yeah. just listening to you telling those stories. They're firsthand stories of just, you know, um, um, be, be, being on the edge of danger or whatever and being in the presence of of, of, uh, of danger. And it occurred to me that you had talked a, bit, a while ago, and I've often heard you on the radio talking as well about all those times you spelt, uh, spent at MAGA rallies. Oh, yeah. And, and I, of course, I've never been at a MAGA rally. But did you ever feel, or, or, for, even from everything you've seen, you know, cow shit, pig shit in, in mm-hmm. Kenya, yeah. uh, Mogadishu, yeah. uh, you know, South Africa. D- was this particularly weird? Did you even find this weird for you, the these MAGA, MAGA rallies? OK, I'll tell you now, at one point, at the moment and for the last year, people have been saying, oh, is America on the brink of civil war? And it's become this kind of echo chamber. And no, it's not on the brink of civil war, as in 1861 or whatever. But I saw a lot of stuff over the last two years that really lead me to think that America could be entering a period of sort of intracommunal conflict of violence in communities of more lone wolves like Timothy McVeigh, of militias, you know, that kind of thing. So, no, it's not going to be a civil war. But and the reason one of the reasons I say that and there there are certain things that stay with you. I'll I'll tell you another in a moment. Um, I worked um, after Somalia, I went to Syria to work on the Syrian refugee. I was based in Beirut, but I spent a lot of time in the Syrian border and in a sort of a no man's land up in um, between northern Lebanon and Syria and uh, where like there was no border, basically. And I remember Hezbollah were involved in, you know, they, they had sent in fighters to help Assad, to help the Assad regime. And that was what really um, turned it around for Assad, unfortunately, because Hezbollah were so disciplined. But I remember one time coming back from doing some work on the border um, in, God, I can't, one of, the, wherever, one of the border towns. And we got caught up in a repatriation ceremony. And what happens with these repatriation ceremonies is um, uh, if a fighter is killed, a Hezbollah fighter is killed in Syria, they'll have this thing where they'll bring them back in a caravan of, of trucks, like pickup trucks and trucks. And they'll have the... the um, basically the body, you know, on top of a couple of the trucks and they'll all be doing this kind of celebratory gunfire because mm. they believe that they have fulfilled their role. Now, this isn't in, in the, the sort of suicide bomber capacity. This is they believe they were a fighting army who were in Syria fighting who they believed were the enemy on behalf of Assad. Mm. So they have this thing where they come back and they're all firing guns in the air and it's and it's a pretty scary thing to get cut up in, quite honestly. And we got slightly run off the road. Um, but uh, anyway, I was in West Virginia and I was driving and I got caught up in a MAGA caravan. Yeah. And a MAGA caravan is all these guys in pickup trucks and there would be like six or eight in the back of these flatbed trucks, you know, and they all had their machine guns and their Uzis. And the difference with them and the Hezbollah guys was the Hezbollah guys were disciplined. Yeah. They did not drink. They were yeah. focused. They were, these guys were roaring drunk. Yeah. They were trying to run cars off the road. Yeah. They had all these huge flags, just like the Hezbollah flags. Only they said Trump, make America great again yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, my God, there is extremism. There is domestic extremism in America. Will it 
spiralled to the level of civil war, no. But it has now been recognised, I think, by the Department of Homeland Security, by friends of mine who work in the FBI, who before were very, you know, dismissive of it, who really only thought, who thought the enemy was anybody connected to ISIS, Al-Qaeda or whatever. And I'm not, but now they realise that there is a threat internally and the threat internally comes from these guys who are mainly young white guys who are, as Trump would say himself, poorly educated, who tend to not really work or to work in, in sort of pretty unskilled work where they do work and they're angry and they want someone to blame and they don't even know what they're angry about half the time. And I remember, I do remember, and I'm segueing here a little bit, I was up in North Dakota working on another story and it was to do with oil and energy and gas pipes up in North Dakota. Anyway, I went to a meeting where Donald Trump Jr. was strutting his stuff and uh, doing his his MAGA thing. And afterwards, I spoke to one of the, uh, the companies, one of the CEOs of one of the companies, and there was this big thing about, you know, immigration and the border and whatever. And he said to me, a lot of our workers now are migrants. He said, they're migrants and we bring them up. And he said, and one of the things that happens is he said, you'll have these guys, the MAGA guys, who will be waiting outside for them to come out so they can beat them up. And I said, well, why aren't you giving the jobs to the MAGA guys, like the local, you know, North Dakota MAGA guys? And he said, because not one of them can pass a drug test. He said, working in these fields requires the use of heavy machinery. You know, if you're laying down pipes or whatever, drilling for gas. And he said, not one of them can pass. And I'm not talking about cannabis. Opioids. Yes, opioid crisis in America, fentanyl, all this sort of stuff. All that stuff. And he said... And you know what? And, it, you know, when people say it's, it sounds like something that, I, you know, the PDs would have said 20 years ago, they don't want to work, you know, or whatever. Mm. But like, really, it seems that these guys now addiction is an appalling thing and it destroys lives. But it seems like and I saw this and I spoke yes. to hundreds of them where Gosh. they really don't seem to want to work, but they hate Mexicans and yes. they hate immigrants. Yeah, this is what I was going to ask you. I mean, yeah. like. Is there a, is there a, an argument to be made for that that it's racism that it's to do with let's say that's something they call it the great replacement theory yeah and, absolutely and that yeah. they are here to yeah. take away our whiteness they are yeah. here to take away our race our jobs um, yeah. and and ultimately to dis, to displace us that's and this is why they have this you remember that chant in Charlottesville yeah. you the Jews will not Love replace it. us and everything and and. Isn't this kind of fundamentally at the root of it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely at the root of it. And, you know, it really kind of takes me off. And that goes back to 1861. Say, oh, it's a post-racial. Yeah. You know what? It's people who don't learn from history, et cetera, et cetera. Repeat you know? it. Yeah. And, and now we're, And you say not learn from history. Yeah. This is an interesting word you use, learn from history, because, of course, this is central to American debate at the moment as well. Yeah. The teaching yeah. of history. And, and this critical race. Yes, theory bollocks if you yeah. pardon mm. uh, but there is no better word for mm. it you know and and all that oh my god you want to teach you know our poor little white children that we were mean to black people you yeah. know and and they get up in arms and the fury that that even um, imagine learning generates. imagine learning the, the you know the the, the the Tulsa race massacre you know yeah. uh, in the 20s yeah imagine not never learning that yeah imagine yeah that being deleted from history never and you let's mentioned. say you lived in Oklahoma yeah. Yeah. And you didn't learn that in the no. biggest town in yeah. Oklahoma, there was this yeah. massive race massacre. Yeah. And the Osage, the Osage County murders, w- yeah. which, which was the genesis of the FBI. That was how the FBI came about, where yeah. where white businessmen murdered by poisoning, stabbing, drowning 
hundreds of Native Americans mm. because they happened to be sitting on a spot of oil that made them the richest accidentally per capita people in the world yeah. for a couple of years. And they stole all the money by, you know, by they, because they had to have guardians um, back then. Like, so if, if you were a Native American, uh, there were only about two and a half thousand who had birthrights to this um, and it, it was passed down. But they had to have a white guardian and the white guardian, they were, the, the, the revenues were worth about a million dollars probably two or three million dollars in today's money to each person, each Native American who had those rights. But they weren't allowed to access that money because it was deemed that they wouldn't know what to do with it. So instead, their guardians, their white guardians, kept all the money and would give them about five dollars a year or whatever. And not content with that, they then murdered them and killed them so that they would be able to wangle it to get that. They, they, uh, it's one of the most appalling stories. But Nobody in America knows it. Mm. Like P- Americans I speak to, there's a fantastic book that was written about it uh, several years ago. Um, and uh, But the, the knowledge, because none of this is taught in schools, mm. you know, and, you know, it, the, the black history isn't taught in American schools in, in, in certainly in, in their primary or secondary schools mm. in any meaningful way. But the Native American history isn't taught at all. Mm. That's just scrubbed. That's scrubbed. Yeah. It's it's you know, and and just back to the the, the, the MAGA stuff again because yeah. I, I did did I, I'm just intrigued by the idea of yeah. of UCD Marion um, barrister Marion business post Vincent Brown Matt Cooper Marion Dublin Marion standing in one of these places. I mean, I know you're a tough bird now at this stage, but still. <laughs> At this stage. No, no, I mean, as in you've been around the block. I mean, you can handle yourself. But Ah, my point is, it's still very strange, hasn't it been? This, isn't it? I mean, did you ever feel, did you ever feel, I mean, but what I was trying to ask you earlier on was, with all your experience, did you ever feel, fuck, this is fucking weird? You know, I felt it almost every day. But I will say, okay, there there was only one time, and I'll talk about that, where I actually felt nervous. Only one time, in, time? in years. That was a time which was, it was coming up to the midterms in 2018. And Steve Bannon was doing a sort of a Minutemen thing down on the Arizona border. And he was giving an award to somebody for basically being a white supremacist was was the the the, the size of it. And there were all these kind of Minutemen from the Arizona, like border vigilantes who were all gathered. And to get to the place where this party was happening, you I signed up for it, you know, and because I wanted to see because if you don't get out there, you don't know what's going on. You're reading about somebody else's views. So you have to get out there. So I went down and um I signed up for it and the at you were taken from where you thought was happening on buses into the middle of nowhere outside Tucson. And I remember, and I was on a bus with all these people with there and they were red-blooded, red-roaring MAGA guys and they had their flags out the window and they were screaming all kinds of stuff that was pretty chilling, frankly. And um, so anyway, I sent a text to my bloke at the time saying, uh, I just want you to know that I'm in Arizona, I'm on a bus with a load of of MAGA bros and um, basically, you know, just so you know, because I really, the the blood curdling, you know, when you're in a bus with all these people and you're, you're it, you're, you're kind of going, Jesus, like they really are, they were so riled up, they were drunk, they were, and then they had this thing, as I said, where they gave out an award and, and the conspiracy theories were f- Flying about Obama and you know and the hatred and the vitriol for Obama. Now, so that was the time I was nervous. But back to the MAGA rallies. Honestly, these people—it's so easy to to do the black and white thing to say they're all awful. They're they're not. I met 
I'm not kidding. And the weird thing is that for some reason, the MAGA boys find me great fun. And they're always getting in touch with me and phoning me up. And yeah. Cowboys for Trump, the leader, <laughs> insisted I come to his ranch in New Mexico. And I never went. Really? And then also the chairman of Bikers for Trump before he got displaced by another chairman in a very bloody battle, apparently in the middle of nowhere. Um, Love you as also, well. Also, yeah, they were, and because I take the piss with them. I yeah. have a laugh. Like I was wearing this fur coat one time and one of the guys was wearing something that looked like the rest of it. I, may, I was joking. I said, I think you're wearing the rest of my fur coat because yeah. he had this head around his neck. Yeah. And, uh, and well, we would actually, have a laugh and we would, and there, a lot of them were really decent people, but something would happen then. Trump would come on, they, they would be as friendly yeah. and you could see there's a fundamental decency that got corroded. Yes, by, there's a fundamental yeah, decency yeah. and and that leads me to, that leads me to, to, to believe that what I've often believed, although it's hard to say you believe something when you're when you're faced opposite somebody like you who has been on the front line so much. But I'll, I'll use the word believe, who believes that that this is a cult because yeah. good people join cults. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. you know, you always hear about like Jim Jones, for example. Yeah. Right. And it's like our little daughter was called Melissa. She was yeah. the nicest girl ever. She was 18. Yeah. She was in her junior year mm-hmm. in, in, in college. She was a history major. She was brilliant. And suddenly, but she just wanted to go with this guy. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it wasn't as if she was bonkers or bad. No. It's just the way a, a switch was flicked. Yeah. And this and is what you're talking about. It's I a think cult. it is. Like the cult. It's a cult. Donald Trump, ha- there's a, such a cult of personality around him. It really can't be overstated. And it came from, he has a charisma, whether people like it or not, he has an undeniable charisma. And he has convinced all these people that he's just like them except he's rich. He's just like them, except he happens to be rich. And they could be rich just like him. Because if you think about it, Donald Trump is a poor person's idea of what being rich is like. You know, the supermodels, the wife with the enormous big boobs. It's a cliche. It's gaudy. It's gold. The gaudy palace in New York. But also, like, crucially, like a lot of cults, right? Donald Trump hates every one of the people who follow him. Oh, he despises them, there's no doubt. And this is the interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. He hates them. Yeah. Nobody who votes for Donald Trump, he wouldn't allow any of them near his clubs. Well, I can literally tell you. In Mar-a-Lago. One day I was going into the, the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. And it was the day of, it was after the election, the, mm. the November 2020 election. Mm. I was back in D.C. And uh, I was, there, there was one of the first protest marches, the election was stolen, mm. stopped the steel marches. And the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. had put up all these barriers. Now, this is before January 6th, before the whole, before um, basically Washington, D.C. became a fortress city. But they had put all the all the barriers across the Trump Hotel to stop them from coming in. Anyone who just wanted to come in for a drink or mm. even to use a bathroom or whatever, they let me in, ironically. Mm. They had no problem letting me in because mm. I said I'd like to go in. So I wanted to see if there was AMD in there, like mm. if they were, you know, whatever. And they said to me, yes, of course, ma'am, this way, this way. And then they slammed the barrier back up to stop the Trump fanatics and the Trump loyalists who just wanted to go in and pay homage. Literally yep. probably go down their knees He doesn't on even the want them to do that. He didn't want them in they his building. They scum to him. Not a, They're completely. filth. Well, you know and what? Uh, ironically, the thing he nearly practically won the 2016 election about. Yeah. The deplorables. Yeah. That's what he thinks of them. Oh, yeah. But you worse, know, he thinks they're way worse than deplorable. I, you know, he says things to them though, and it is funny because he will, he knows their value, and he went into that election. You know, people think Donald Trump. It was a kind of a luck, an accident. It was a fluke. He went into that knowing 
what would work because he had done a dry run basically with the Obama birtherism and he was taking the temperature of how racist America was, how much fear there was that, my God, there was a black president in the White House, not just one term, but two terms. And as you say, the whole replacement theory and that and he decided that he could, if he basically ginned up enough white people in America because they're still 60 percent of the electorate. That that was the only way he could win. And it started with the Mexicans are rapists. He knew from day one how he was going to, if he was going to win, if he had any chance, mm. how he was going to do it. I think the mistake all the journalists made was we didn't believe there were enough people who would buy into it. And also a lot of these people hadn't registered to vote previously and had they were what they called low propensity voters. Mm. You know, they'd never bothered voting in an election. Um, and so he got them sufficiently riled up to mm. register, to vote, etc. And I think that we, you know, all of us made a mistake. We yes, didn't s- see it coming. S- s- several people did see it coming, though. Yeah, they did. There were some. There and there were, were some, some that were on yeah. record as seeing yeah. it coming. Several yeah. people, I'll name two of them, um, two yeah. of them would be interested I'd be interested in their commentary one of them is a comedian one of them is a documentary Bill maker Bill Maher Bill Maher is the yeah, comedian yeah, and Michael Moore right. is the documentary that's maker that's right Michael yeah. Moore many 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 months Various, up to a yeah. year or two he talked about a Molotov yeah. cocktail Yeah. the Molotov cocktail was the people wanted to throw a Molotov cocktail into the world of politics yeah. they hated every fucking yeah. one of them they hated, them all. They hated the they Republicans hated they yeah. hated Washington and they hated yeah. the Democrats it, mm-hmm. it was it was a cross party what yeah. they wanted was somebody to come in and fucking blow it up yeah they wanted to blow it up because they don't trust anybody. Yeah. And one of the reasons they don't go on. No, I was going to say, and Steve Bannon was, again, with Breitbart and all that. He saw that, he sensed it, and he then came together with Trump in the last, because the last couple of months, Trump was flailing. He was, the, the campaign was a mess in 2016. Yeah. He really was flailing. But I think people thought, Democrats always think people will be outraged. Oh my God, they're going to be so outraged. These people, when they hear that he slept with a hooker, who is outraged that Donald Trump slept with a hooker? You know, is there anyone in the world? <laughs> is there- no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God, did she have big tits? Oh, exactly. Nobody is outraged by, by Trump. Donald Trump doesn't pay his taxes. Do they really think that any Trump voter will give a damn about that? Well, no, because you're cheating the system and that's good. Exactly. Beating those IRS. Yeah. I mean, there's there's people now who are running on, um, there there are senators, uh, potential senators running on campaigns of we will abolish the IRS. Yeah. I mean, people hate the IRS. Yeah. So the fact that Trump, and as you say, that that he and Bannon, who who was like that before Trump, they wanted to just disrupt. They call themselves disruptors. They just wanted to smash everything with no idea about what was going to replace it. It, it. It is still put forward or has been until recently as the, as I said, the, the, the emblematic of what democracy and and the dream, the potential dream stands for. Yet, like some of the stuff you hear about mainstream life in America yeah. would shock you. So, for example, a primary school teacher in America mm-hmm. can't afford to live. They need another job. Yeah. They, two, three that. jobs. Yeah. Um, 50 million people Mm-hmm. approximately, on food stamps. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. This is incredible. So in other words, this country who, yeah. it's America, mm-hmm. is actually in many ways a poverty-stricken fucking hovel. A, to use Trump's expression, a shithole. Um, if you're not yeah. on, if you're not on three, four hundred grand a year in America, forget it. You're, you're down the toilet. Do you know, honestly, I wouldn't agree that there's a reason I've spent about 14 the last 20 years in the States. I love it. Mm. I love it. Good. I like I, there are so many things I love about it. And mainly it's the American people. I have never come across as a people with all the faults and everything we've discussed 
more generous, more fun, more optimistic. And you know what? Part of the reason is that that they've been sold a pup with the American dream is Americans do not begrudge success in any form. If if they see somebody going on like Trump, you know, and becoming a billionaire despite all the odds are allegedly, they'll go, good on you, good on you. And the way they see it is that means that I could do it too because I'm not as thick as him, <laughs> basically, or whatever. They see it as a sign that they too can succeed. They don't see it as that so-and-so must have done something to get there and must, you know, and there's a, you know, there's a fun and a generosity. Years ago, I dated a cowboy from Texas. Now, there's a lot of things wrong with Texas, but the the fun and the good humouredness and the optimism and the decency that has gotten corroded, I think, mm. in, by, you know, because to me, there is nothing sadder than seeing that at, at one of the MAGA rallies, another time I was slightly nervous, um, was I had, you drive to get to those rallies. You've got to drive. I don't have a private plane, obviously, or a, a Donald Trump Jr. A helicopter or escort. You can drive up to 1,200 miles a day. So I was going from some dump in Ohio to Circleville, Ohio, which is an even bigger dump. I'd driven at 120 miles an hour for five hours straight, got out of the car. I was just dying to go for a pee, just dying to. And so I jumped out. Everybody was already got into the rally. And there's one of these trucks, you know, the big bumper trucks with the wheels like tractors. Yeah. And I thought, oh, geez, I'll just go here. Nobody will see me. And there was a Mike Pence poster on the ground. I didn't have time to take it out of the way. So I pissed on my head. <laughs> and anyway, uh. not realising the door opens. And this 400 pound guy in the tattoos <laughs> and the check shirt goes, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And it was just like, Good, oh. you just pissed on Mike yeah. Pence. <laughs> you just pissed on the disciple of Lord Jesus Christ. Chad, so- Judas, Titus, get in here. Chad, Brad, Cletus, look at this motherfucker. And he had a gun in the front of the car. Yeah. It's open carry there as well. And I remember just going, Oh, <laughs> and I tried to, to pull, up your... pull up the jeans and run at the same time <laughs> and get out of there as quick as possible. And uh, so, th- like, there would be moments, but then, like, literally, a couple of hours later, I'm at another rally. The battery um, is gone in the car because I forget to turn the lights off uh, when I get there. And, like, a bunch of MAGA bros start, jump started it, gave me their numbers, gave me and said, like, if you get any more trouble down the road, just call us, we'll come and get you. It doesn't matter where it is. And again, there's mm. that thing where. You and yes, I know what you mean. I'm I'm not. I can be cynical or even realistic and say, yeah, I'm a white woman. You know, like I'm. You know, if I were a black man in that situation, or a Mexican man, or a Mexican woman, who knows what would happen? So you know, I'm I'm not trying to paint it as. But I love the diversity. I love the adventure of it. There there isn't a dump in America I haven't been in. Uh, I was in actually (laughs) during the last campaign as well. Oh Jesus, I could tell you stories for a year, but there was. um, I was going, the weather in America changes like that. I was driving up through this godforsaken dump. I was trying to get to Montana, I think. And I obviously got lost in no sense of direction. Anyway, I ended up on the road in Sterling, outside Sterling, Colorado, this tiny little place. And this ice storm and sort of cycle, just the most mental weather just hit. And all these trucks were jackknifed across the roads. And, and like, there was, it was carnage. So I thought, geez, I've got to pull in. It was about one in the morning and I thought I've just got to pull in and find a hotel so I pull up outside this thing that's sort of like a low rent I don't know Motel 6 but not quite and I go in and there's this woman behind the counter and she's got this name badge on that says Angel and I go hi um, I'd love a room for that and she goes yeah and she's like yeah that'll be no problem that's going to be and she just looks up at the ceiling and 
pulls a number out of her arse, obviously, and goes, that'll be uh, $375. So I went, what? <laughs> what? what? She looks at the weather like. Yeah, and she, exactly. Mm. And she goes, I said, $375. Like, and I said, but it's usually about $60. And she went, well, you know, ma'am, if you don't want to stay here, she goes, there's a truck stop across the road. And there's also the certain, the, um, Sterling Men's Correctional Facility. I'm sure you'll find a bed in either of them. And I just looked and I said, are you sure your name's Angel? <laughs> and I mean, there, was, there is that kind of hard-headedness as well and that sort of... Yeah. But you, it makes me laugh more than... You know what I mean? I don't... I never find it, it... Like, all of the crazy little places I've been to, like, there have been times when I've literally... There was one town where I drove around a tornado barrier into a ditch and out the other side. And I said, I will take my chances on the road in the line of a tornado rather than stay here for a night. Yeah. And the clue was they had one nightclub and it was called Bitches. <laughs> 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 and so, you know, you do, you see it all and you kind of, but there's such, I don't know, adventure and humour. And the fact that, you know, apart from anything else, the scenery and the diversity, it's it's a beautiful country. And like I said, I think I probably should have been a trucker. Not in West Virginia the last mm. couple of days. But I love country well, music. Marian, I can drive for 12 hours a day yeah, happily. And Marion, yep. can I just say one person to another? Because, yep. you know, meeting you, which is much different to meeting you in person, it's been a completely different experience than hearing you on the radio. So here is from a person who studies people and listens to people on the radio. I mean, your voice on the radio, and this probably comes across in the podcast as well, is you're, you sound like a delicate flower and you sound, and of course you're Democrat, as in, as in not Democrat, but liberal leaning. Um, yeah, I suppose that'd be, well, yeah, compared, that'd be to Cal, uh, compared to Cal, for example. Compared to Cal, Genghis Khan's liberal leaning, come on. I know, and I love Cal. I know, I know. <laughs> I love but, Cal. But, but my point is that you sound so, the way I play you as well when I'm ever doing an impression of you is that you're delicate. And, but the woman I meet is, you've got elbows. And you are able to handle yourself. And of course, it sort of dawned on me while I've been talking to you. Of course you are. You are a journalist working on America. You have to be able to, yeah. you know, Jesus, you can't just be a shrinking violet. No, and I think you have to enjoy it. You yeah. have to have fun with it. And it's the Peeing same. Being on Mike Pence is... Um, but ironically, the guy that um, the, of all the guy the, that comes out, he would have been one of the guys in Capital going, "Hang yeah, Mike Pence, you know, hang Mike no Pence." No doubt. Like a couple of months later, you're, you're, they would have been up there with the yeah. loose and the and the makeshift sky. But maybe, get near but it. maybe Marion, yeah. it's the maybe Marion, it's 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 the beginning of the end in a mm. way. And what I mean by that yeah. is, uh, I mean yeah. clearly, the 20th century was American was America's century. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we're com- maybe we're coming out of that period. Well, of, all empires, well, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, yeah. who could have predicted the Roman Empire? The way it, the way know, it was I, shaping I, I up. I was around at the time, and I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. Let me tell you, you know, I couldn't, couldn't believe there I was it. underneath with, the Colosseum and taking a piss on Julius Caesar. <laughs> Julius Caesar, I had my pants around my ankles. I'm peeing on Julius Caesar. <laughs> Brutus comes around and goes, what the fuck is this broad doing? <laughs> um, yeah, so. So, yeah, I mean, it is. And I was in China in 2019, September, October 2019. 
no cracks about me causing the yeah. coronavirus now. Thank you very much. But uh, and to see Marianne the McKeown infrastructure, yeah, mm. to see the infrastructure in Shanghai, in Beijing, yeah. in all those big cities, to see you get a bullet train in Shanghai yeah. from the airport into the middle of the city in yeah. 18 minutes. Yeah. The, the infrastructure the, and the whole... And how they are colonising yeah. the world themselves yeah. by colonising Africa and buying up half of Africa. Honestly, when I was in um, Nairobi back in geez, 2012, it probably was, China was building everything, all mm. the roads, everything. And, and they're in a sense, yeah. they're, they're making these deals with these African countries yeah. where they're putting them in debt. Yeah. So they're saying, yeah, hey, they're we'll build you your roads. Loan uh, sharking, basically. They're loan yeah. sharking. We're, yeah. We'll build you your roads. Now you owe us 20 billion. Have you got yeah. it? Oh, yeah. you don't have it. Yeah. Okay, well, can you just give us that little um, sacred place there that yeah. we like? Yeah, um, with, we'll with take all, that. With all the minerals and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. underneath it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll, have a, yeah. we'll have a look at that. Yeah. We'll take care of it for you. Yeah. Kind yeah, of thing. It's, it's all a bit nasty, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So it, it does feel like America is sort of... I actually thought after 9-11 and the war in Iraq and that whole thing, because I was down in, in Ground Zero on, on 9-11, I thought it was... A, a plane crash, you know. So I went. I got down there pretty early before they stopped blocking off the roads, and I had the NY and the NYPD give you a general press pass. So I was allowed in at that stage, past 14th Street. And to me, the couple of weeks after that, when Bush was kind of like, "Okay, we're going to do like into Afghanistan restrained," everyone knew this was going to be a springboard to Iraq. And I think that to me was the beginning of the end because. I remember the night of 9-11 or the night after because I got back very late that night and there was a rerun of some programme on CNN and Alan Dershowitz of Prince Andrew, etc., Jeffrey Epstein fame, was making the case for why torture was acceptable in certain circumstances. And I thought, my God, the fragility of American democracy that within a couple of hours... People are talking about, yeah, it's fine to torture. Yeah. It's fine. You know, like the rule book went out the window yeah. at the very time when they needed it. Uh, and I suppose tr- democracy as well relies on, democracy re- relies on both sides agreeing yeah. that there are facts and that yeah. there are truths. Yeah, that there that are phone common... is on the table. Yeah. We both no agree reason. on that. No yeah, exactly. So when That's you fine. when you reach that, then it's all bets are That's off. Elephant. All bets are uh, off. Yeah. Marion, I could talk to you all day um, about this stuff. And, and I'd, I'd love to talk to you about the nerdier stuff as well, because I love the nerdy stuff. The but nerdy I won't stuff. because um, okay. there's more stuff to do because um, there's some people on the line who've been listening. Oh, Jesus. And they'd like to get involved. <laughs> would you put on your, um, would you put on your, 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 put on your headphones there? So um, actually, uh, Cal is on the line. So say hello to Cal. <laughs> hello, Cal. How are you? Hey, Marion. <laughs> hey, how are you doing, Marion? You know, um, I'd like to congratulate you on a great performance, Marion, in this podcast. Personally, I don't know how you keep the act going, Marion. I don't know, considering your political views. Last time I saw you, you had a pillowcase over your head. Um, can I still come? <laughs> of course you can. To Arkansas? <laughs> sure, honey. You know Anytime. You invited me. Have you got your own pillowcase? You, no, you invited me to the annual Guns for Toddlers convention. <laughs> Thanks, Marion. Anytime, darling. Anytime. Love you, Marion. <laughs> Love you too, Cal. <laughs> Matt Cooper's on the line. Okay. Say hello to Matt. Matt, hello. How's the mullet? <sighs> hello, Marion. Hello there. How are you? Listen, um, why didn't you tell me the story about pissing on P- Mike Pence? I'd like to hear about that. <laughs> um, have you been urinating him? It's, it's not that kind of a show you do, Matt. Let's Any other it. politicians I need to know about urinations? Not recently. Okay, thanks a million. Uh, Donald Trump is on the line. Say hello to Donald Trump. Oh, dear God. Hello, Donald. Tough lady. Tough lady. Tough blonde. Always have time for a foxy chick. I'd give you a seven. I'd give you a seven. What would you give me, Marion? I know what I'd give you, Donald. 
<laughs> but I wouldn't like to say it on air. How about a gig on Fox for you? Love it. Laura Ingraham, you, and a sandwich with Tucker Carlson. <laughs> what do you say, Marion? You're a great communicator. Great communicator. Great com- Would you like to be part of my 2024 team? I can think of nothing I would like more. <laughs> I can think- do you know who loves you, Marion? Donald Jr. And I know you love Donald Jr. I, I... <laughs> No, sorry, I can't go there. I can't go there. <laughs> I love abroad with a great laugh. Come and work for me. Do you think he's going to uh, run into... Are you any good at soothsaying? Am I? Any good at predicting? No, Most I... people, most journalists t- say they're terrible at predicting. Are you one of those? No, I did predict that Barack Obama would run for president back in 2004 and I predicted he'd win mm. when John Kerry was running and I oh, said yeah. there's no way he's going to win and I did say it to Matt Cooper actually I said Matt you know the next democratic president is going to be Barack Obama and I do remember Matt saying to me but Marion he's black and I said yeah I know but he's still going to be the next uh, because at the time I never in, said that hello at the time sorry the- I was just listening there are you saying I'm a racist <laughs> Oh, not at First all. the that. mullet. No, I'm a, a racist with a mullet. Is that what you're saying? They usually have. The, the two tend to go together. The next thing you're going to be saying is that I'm carrying an AK-47 in the back of a chump truck. Go away, Thanks, Matt. Sorry, sorry. You shouldn't have been... Shane, take Matt off the phone. Um, but yeah, so... You're such a liar, Marion. <laughs> she is a two-bit Trump fan. Okay, thanks, Cal. Jesus Christ. Anyway, Marion, what can I, what else can I say? Nothing, nothing really. Um, I, uh, listen, just, I, I don't know what else you can say. I'm, I'm, nothing <laughs> I'm really. shocked and stunned. <laughs> uh, uh, nothing else I could say. Thank you so much for sharing. It's been a pleasure. Mm. It's, it's really oh, been a pleasure. Oh, listen, I have to say, I was a bit nervous now about the, the old, uh, <laughs> the old evisceration that I might have gotten. Uh, but um, really. it's, it's, it's been great fun. I mean, this is a woman who sat in a, at the back of a MAGA rally and she's worried about an impressionist from Dublin. <laughs> Come on <laughs> Marion thank you so much It was great fun oh, great. Great fun. You're a brilliant storyteller And that is it from Marion McKeown And that is it from me for this week Thanks a million to you for listening Thanks of course always to Curry's uh, For their great sponsorship uh, And support of the podcast Please subscribe, please follow, please tell a friend And please join me again same time next week Bye <laughs>